We're back with Lobby Concessionals, the movie podcast where nobody's right and everybody's wrong. That's Brendan. I'm Parker. Like and subscribe. Follow us along. You know, smash that like button. <laughs> Don't do that. I haven't <laughs> haven't used it yet, so I've, I've been saving it. Um, yeah. Brendan, what is your general vibe on uh, studios, producers? Uh, if you were to describe them as a single entity or it'd be, you know, like, do you have impressions with those people? Uh, like, in what sense? Like, in like, a, just a general? Are they good people? Are they evil people? You know, like, if I were to be like, oh, what do you think about producers? I think uh, in a, uh, in a knee-jerk reaction, uh-huh. angry fanboy sense, I think the immediate reaction is that those are the people that get in the way of movies. Man. It is perfect. It's almost like you knew what we were trying to talk about. That's like a great transition, actually. Wow. Nailed that. Um, yeah, I want to talk today about movies. Uh, I hope so. Yeah. I realized after saying it that that was ridiculous. Um, no, I wanted to talk today about uh, specific movies that we have, uh, for whatever reason, chalked up. The reason they suck or the reason they failed is because of studio interference. Sure. Um, and then the other side of that coin, where movies that have um, succeeded or or are only the the product they are today because of oh so the the, the less talked about positive absolutely outcome <laughs> absolutely um, and I and think to start this off I want to make it clear uh, because it was not clear to me before doing research for this episode what the difference is between a production company a distributor a producer. Um, you know, like chain of command as it were. Yeah. Um, so what I found out basically is when I say the word producer, that is an individual. Um, usually it is the head of a production company. Um, uh, but there is specific situations where, uh, they are like just an employee basically, you know, production company is quite large or can be quite large. Um, and so, uh, you know, a, a one of the larger production companies could have, I don't know, a dozen products on the run. Uh, and so they're going to send various producers and they will get assigned to a particular project and a particular yep. movie. Um, so a producer is the individual. The production company is the thing at large. In some cases, they're massive. Um, uh, and again, they could have a dozen different things going on. Yeah. Or in some cases, they're much, much smaller. Um the other thing that's worth pointing out is the production company, as the name sort of denotes, now that I kind of think about it, <laughs> they um, are involved in the production of the movie. They yeah. literally create it. Uh, um, so uh, Marvel Studios is a production company yeah. uh, because they are actively producing and creating the film. Yeah. Um, and then the other big word is the... There's not a big word, but like the other... <laughs> Big one is uh, distributors. That's a big word. Uh, it's kind of a small <laughs> word, I guess. Okay, fair enough. We'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> um, so in a lot of cases, they buy rights to films. So sure. distributors will show up to film festivals and stuff. And after the movie is made, they will buy the rights. Um, and then they will distribute it. They, will, they are the ones that have contacts with um, theaters and theater companies. And, um, and they are the ones that make sure it gets put on screens yeah. They figure release dates. They do all of that. Um, so, in, so, like, an example would be, like, Palm Springs debuts at a film festival. Sure. Does well. And then Amazon, as a distributor, buys the rights to Palm Springs for distribution. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, Amazon's a great example of that. Yeah. Um, because I don't even know if Amazon is has production Um a production arm in terms of their their films. They do now uh, for the Lord of the Rings stuff. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah it yeah, does. Yeah. yeah. So previous to that, everything that is that has Amazon in front of it is um was just a previously created film. Yeah. And they threw some money behind it. And also, the other thing the distributor does is it, a lot of the times it's marketing. Yeah. So they are a big part of the marketing arm, and they finance that and yada yada yada. Yeah. So. Palm Springs, the Andy Samberg film, is a great example of that as well because um, while it has a marketable lead and stuff, they definitely didn't have enough money to no. do the advertising that yeah. the movie needed. You know. Um, so while we have this discussion, I think it's worth noting that 
uh, oh, sorry. The other thing is, is that in some cases, production companies are their own distribution. So some of the bigger ones, like Paramount, for instance, they are a production company, but they also distribute sure. because they've been around forever. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, they, they handle all of that. Um, but so I think we're kind of going to use these terms interchangeably. Um, yeah, yeah. And effectively, they're going to mean the same thing in the context of this discussion. Because yeah. um, there is going to be some movies where we talk about here where an individual producer was the one that made a decision that either ruined the movie or, or saved it. Sure. Uh, or uh, there are some cases where the movie is already made, a distributor picks it up, and they say, but uh, hold on, you have to change this. So actually, <laughs> a good example of that is um, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's uh, Don John. Yeah. Uh, I believe it was 2014 or something. Anyway, he had created the film, put it out at film festivals. When it got picked up, the distributor said, um, uh, sorry, for those that don't know, it's about him. He's basically like a sex addict. He's addicted to porn. Yeah, and yeah, he's, yeah. You know. um, anyway, there's a scene where he is uh, watching porn. And I guess for the distributor's case, the masturbation was a little bit too much. <laughs> um, so their only thing was they're like, we'll pick up the movie. It's, it looks great you need to cut off the last three seconds of that scene. Um, and that was it. And so he cut that, and I remember him doing an interview talking about how it was a great decision and that it, it helps the tone of the film because it got a little a little darker with yeah. apparently the end of that. And my imagination just runs <laughs> wild. Like, how much darker could it get? You know, like, what were you doing, man? <laughs> anyway, um, so those decisions can be made too. So it might sort of seem like distributors can't really be involved, but they, they are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anyway, we're going to use those sort of terms interchangeably. I'm going to probably just use the word studio yeah. to mean all of those things. So we spent months training our audience to think that we don't talk in broad strokes. And we're going to tell them today that that's exactly what we're going to be doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're just going to erase months and months of effort. Yeah. 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 Um, here we go. Uh, um, but, oh, the other thing that's worth noting here is in a lot of these cases, some of it's hearsay. So you hear from a particular... Or um, read an article. Or, yeah, you hear from an actor and the actor's like, oh, well, if the studio hadn't got involved, it would have been a, a masterpiece. And like, sure, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is that it's worth noting films are... Uh, like, There's literally thousands of people that are involved in the making sure. of a single film. Um, so it's really hard to be able to say that, oh, this one decision drastically impacted it and, and made it so that this movie couldn't be made properly or that that's the only reason this movie's terrible. There is so many little tiny decisions. Um, but in general, we are going to sort of go with what we've heard, what we've been able to read or research. Um, the other side of this is too, the other side of the, um, the coin here is the fact that Generally, people credit directors with creating a film. You know, yeah. like uh, The Departed is Martin Scorsese's film. And even though there's amazing performances in that, the reason that movie is amazing is because of Martin, yeah, not because of Leo. Um, uh, and that's a weird way of looking at movies. Yes. Uh, it's called, there's a something in film studies, and I always screw up how I say it. It's auteur yeah. theory, I believe. And, it's, um, and the idea is that you credit the director with all those things. It is not a perfect system, but again, for the context, for the sake of this discussion, we're going to be comparing studios, which is sort of everything money-wise, and directors, which is, you know, the creator side sure. of it, even though, you know, any one of Writers, stories, cinematographers, director oh, of photography. I got you. Yeah, I got yeah, you. Yeah. We got you. Um, anyway, uh... Any big things come to mind for you in terms of movies ruined by studios? Have you, like, any classic famous examples that you can think of that really stick out? Uh, for ruining movies? Uh, the big one that sticks out to me is, uh, is, uh, is Alien 3. Man, I am so <laughs> glad you started with Alien and, 3. Uh, I was going to say Alien 3, too. And it's not even just the ruining of a movie, but we almost lost David Fincher as a filmmaker. Yeah. In the process. <laughs> Uh, of a studio interfering so much that he didn't want to make movies anymore. Yeah. Uh, so that's when I think of when I think of studio interference and 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 ruining movies. That's the one for me. So for context, Alien Three comes out in 1992. 
Um, we have, it's been a decade, I believe, since the first Alien, because it was 81, wasn't the first Alien? 79. 79, okay. I think, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure, yeah. Um, so it has been 13 years since the first Alien. Yeah. I understand there was Aliens in the middle there, and I think it was probably five years after, so, yeah, yeah. you know. But it's been a little bit of time. Um, they put uh, first-time film director David Fincher yeah. on to helm the project. Yeah. Um, up until this point, he had done a bunch of music videos. Lots of music videos, done, yeah. Uh, Commercials you know, like, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, there was work. You know, the guy clearly knew what he was doing. Um, but at the same time, first time on a film set. Um, and apparently, even before filming begins, they have five separate screenwriters brought in. And the studio was just cycling these things. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You need someone to do this, and they need to do it <laughs> right. And apparently... Of the five, they basically just put Frankenstein together a script yep. out of all of that work. And then they handed it to Fincher. And, um, uh, oh, and sorry, they even begin filming without the complete script. Yep. Like, they have five people <laughs> go through this. Uh, and then they're like, here you go. And he's like, oh, man. And, you know, he's not a timid person. But I picture him as timid on his first project. And he's like, I don't want to step on any uh, Those were the stories. Like, he, he did, he, he kind of let the studio run over him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they just told him what was up. <laughs> to a point where, as far as I've heard, they literally lock him out of the editing room after the movies. Yeah. <laughs> and granted, we have the benefit of hindsight. We've seen... Seven and Fight Club and all of Benjamin Button yeah. and Gone Girl. Like I, we know now that he is an incredible creative. Sure, and like it's it's very easy to see. Okay, the guy that made Zodiac, you're <laughs> gonna tell him how to how to run a movie. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like we we can see now that it was a bad idea. But wow, like <laughs> I just can't imagine the gall of these guys <laughs> to be like no 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 you were on the set every day but you clearly screwed it up so yeah. you know yeah. you can't even edit your own movie i mean at the end of the day you're like oh the if i was if i was a producer on that film you know and, and it, it wasn't going well yeah you blame the guy who only has directed madonna music videos <laughs> <laughs> up to that point right Fair like enough. and again Fair hindsight enough. hindsight's a beautiful thing but like at the time uh you know, it's a big franchise, and and it probably took a lot of work to get Sigourney back to begin with. Uh, yeah, you fair know? enough. Uh, and so all of a sudden, and, and uh, I don't know why people are bailing left and right, but that's probably another red flag in terms of, oh, of yeah. uh, having to land on the guy who does music videos. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, so you're already behind the eight ball. Huge. Yeah, huge. But it, it's still it's still baffling. It and it's seeing what a train wreck that movie is, and especially given. Like, the, the um, incredible amount of goodwill they must have had going into Alien 3, <laughs> given how incredible Alien and Aliens are. Yeah. Um, and they, they undo it in the first five minutes. Oh, it's gone. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, it's gone thinking? in the first five minutes, yeah. right? So, and I don't know if that's, if that's a, a producer or a, somebody or another, either or a creative, yeah. trying to put their stamp on a franchise. You know, because sometimes you go out of your way to be like, I, you know, I don't want to be alien. I don't want to be aliens. This sure. one is very distinctively me, so let's blow it up right out of the gate. Yeah, so people yeah, know. Yeah. Sometimes that works, but sometimes you have to read the room. Yeah. Oh, totally, <laughs> totally. And yeah. I think that you make you mentioned bringing back Sigourney. Um, it very much could have been a simple matter of they kind of got her interested first, or they made sure, sure. she would come back. Uh, but they, they had a very slight window. Uh, yeah. And so they just did whatever they could to make it work. Um, clearly, it didn't work. Uh, so, <laughs> um, but it, so Alien 3 is a great example of this. Is that studio involvement ended up making that project worse um, because of a variety of reasons. They yeah. clearly forced something that was never supposed to happen. Um, they forced screenwriters and uh, an amazing director yeah, yeah. to do things they weren't interested in doing. And you have a movie that like doesn't look like it should be there it shouldn't exist oh, frankly yeah. you know um one of the other ones i had uh that the, the first thing that pops into my head and partially this is because of all of my merch <laughs> um but uh amazing spider-man 2 oh that's a huge um, one um so andrew garfield uh okay. comes back for amazing spider-man i personally think the first amazing spider-man is underrated um and with no Way Home coming out, people are 
you know, the, now the Andrew Garfield apologists are coming out of the woodwork. You know, people are like, <laughs> oh, I loved it from the beginning. But I actually did. It's what's really yeah. important. So I wanted to make this clear. Us dudes in the actual trenches remember yeah, yeah. How, much you, how much you guys absolutely shat on those movies and Andrew Garfield. Oh, yeah. He's too good looking. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> He's never supposed to be gross looking. Like, um, so, uh, so I love that first one. Uh, and then Amazing Spider-Man 2, Sony basically it comes out in 2014. So we have two years removed from the first Avengers film. Um the MCU is blowing up. Um, oh, yeah. So Sony sh- like forces it and just goes, nope, we have to have a franchise as soon as possible. So they shove a bunch of villains in. They make a bloated movie. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, you know, I have heard over and over again that uh, Mary Jane is supposed to be in this movie, that she they shot scenes with her and oh, yeah. completely cut all of them. And even then, the movie's still two and a half hours. <laughs> um, uh it just it, it doesn't make sense. Uh, my understanding in this case is it's actually due to, or a lot of it is due to uh, a single producer. Um, nope, can't remember his name. Anyway, oh, Avi Arad is my uh, yeah. understanding. He's, he's he babies that Spider-Man franchise. Oh yeah, and so I, there's actually been a leaked memo um, that Kevin Feige had had given some advice uh, based on seeing a cut of that film and going, okay, wait, hold on. These guys need to be removed, um, like the the extra villains. Yeah. And, you know, you're gonna have a better um, time if you do this. This, yeah. this needs this. more rhino. <laughs> you could skip rhino, but um, like Paul Giamatti's great. Would have liked to have have him be worthwhile in that movie. Damn it! Um, but there's there's some weird choices, and my understanding, the internet's understanding. Is that that so many of those came down to a producer level, and the, the creatives involved with that movie um, were not happy about it. Yeah. Um, you know, like Jamie Foxx was not happy about his villain in that. No, uh, he you know did the movie, but he was like, "What is going on?" Yeah, and very clearly, when he comes back in No Way Home, he is stoked to be, to be there. Yeah, and stoked to be a the way the villain should have been portrayed from the very beginning. Yeah, you know? I mean, even Andrew Garfield on that press tour uh, is just the energy just sucked out of him. Oh yeah, and I don't know if it was from the 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 shoot or if it was just the way the movie and like if he if he felt the the way the movie had turned out, yeah, uh, kind of a thing. But I I think I grieve that that movie still, and it the producer influence really bothers me because um I haven't I don't think I've ever seen a movie with uh two leads that have as good chemistry as uh, Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield. Um, like their connection in that movie is electric. Um and I see what you did there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, and it's just sort of wasted. You know, it sucks that that's all we get. To, yeah, um, it's still the best parts of the the movie is oh, the two yeah. of them together. Well, and I still really think what like they shouldn't have rushed the, rushed the uh, Green Goblin reveal. Um, they should have let Gwen survive another movie. Oh, yeah. Um, I would have been okay with having a little bit of an MJ Gwen love triangle and sure. uh, the end of. Amazing Spider-Man 2 going into Amazing Spider-Man yeah. 3. Um, and yeah, like there was a number of things that, that could have been done there that would have made that film significantly better. Yeah. And unfortunately, they didn't exactly give the right people the the power to do those things. You yeah. know? Um, but it's hard to argue with, with a track record, though, right? We're talking about, uh, we're talking about Ivy Arad, but he had so much success with those Sam Raimi movies. Yep, and the X Men movies. That there's a lot of clout. There's a lot of goodwill yep, built absolutely. up there. That uh, sometimes, uh, you know, you things evolve past you. Totally. And it feels like a guy who has no like so out of touch. Well, is at the helm of those movies again. Totally. Yeah. Um, he he'd been involved with Marvel and uh, some capacity of Marvel Studios for years. And yeah, years he was and years. A, he was a guy for the the animation stuff. So yeah, he was there yeah, for yeah. the Spider Man animated series and X Men animated series and all the way through. Totally. So he is a lifer, you know. So on some level too, you're right that there was a history of success with this mm-hmm. guy. Um, now, granted, he had clearly already made some bad decisions. My understanding was he was also involved with like he was already looking at a another Spider-Man trilogy um, while Sam Raimi was finishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or Spider-Man 3. Yeah. Um, because Sam, 
apparently would have done a Spider-Man 4, and it, there's been talk about how it was going to feature Mysterio and have Bruce Campbell as Mysterio. Mm-hmm. and um, So there was plans there, and it, you know the film franchise could have continued, um, but Abby apparently decided on his own, yeah. we're going to do our own but thing. But both, both franchise killers have the same thing, right? Like that Spider-Man 3 movie, the Raimi movie, and Macy Spider-Man 2 have the same problems, yeah. man. Just bloated... Uh, Bloated characters and 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 too many villains and yeah. maybe a mischaracterization of Peter at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh. So it's just, it's a disaster. Well, and I've heard that the Venom thing was also forced, like in yep. Spider-Man Three, Absolutely. that uh, Raimi doesn't like the character and he didn't want him in there. Uh, yeah. But because of the character's popularity, especially in the decade previous in the mm-hmm. '90s, there, um, uh, it was forced into the film. And it doesn't fit shows. in that no. world, right? I mean, we've talked about things like uh, the new Batman movie, yeah, where certain villains just wouldn't fit in that aesthetic. It's yeah, really hard to put Mister Freeze in there <laughs> or yeah. Clayface. Yeah, still, still championing for a Man Bat movie, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day, Venom doesn't fit into that Raimi world. I don't think, at least, you know, those villains are, are very character centered, like that Doc Ock stuff. It works yeah. because you care about Otto. Yep, you know, but I the the idea of, of if you know if you it, if you had introduced Eddie Brock in first movie, yeah, and like had him show up and like kind of just tease the way through and kind of get to know him a little bit, but just he just shows up and then there's a suit and all of a sudden and I have no idea what's going on. That movie's well, a dumpster fire. Yeah, oh, it's a mess, <laughs> yeah. and it's um so many of those characters uh, are defined by their relationship to Peter. Yeah, um, that uh, it, it seems tacked on like. Eddie Brock is suddenly there as a rival reporter. Yeah. And his whole character then becomes defined by Peter, but doesn't seem to exist in his own right, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it does feel like it's tacked on. And, yeah. uh, and and unfortunately, you know, like that's not the decision that needs to be made. Um, I, uh, uh, well, to balance sort of some things out, because we'll come back to some of the sure. films that were ruined, but I want to give a couple examples of situations where movies have been saved yeah um so the david fincher thing actually fight club yeah um uh brad pitt was hired because of studio interference basically the studio pushed for it and um i in fairness i think that studio likely pushed for it because brad pitt was a bankable star um in the way that ed norton wasn't yeah um and so they were like yeah we can sell this movie with just um, and they're right; they could do that, um, but that movie wouldn't be the same without no. Brad. And that's almost a double. That's doubly smart because you have a bankable star in Brad Pitt, and then you have Oscar Buzz Norton at the time because he was just coming off of like American History X, and, yeah, and and Primal Fear, I think it was. Uh, yeah, yeah. Primal Fear might have been a few years before. Yeah, but, yeah. but like he, he was just why you know riding this wave of like critically acclaimed things. So now sure. you have that guy plus the bankable dude yeah and i almost wonder if you know i think maybe that was the movie that put brad in 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 that upper echelon in terms of like oh he's not just a pretty face oh totally you know like he can he he went toe-to-toe with the oscar guy yeah and he now he's that yeah absolutely um uh i think he does that he does a really good job brad i mean of picking uh films because he does 12 monkeys a little bit before this and yeah, he, yeah yeah yeah, it, yeah it's just him being a lunatic the whole time yeah um, super underrated movie oh yeah great film yeah um and it's uh that really just shows his range and so he did a good job of refusing to be typecast as this as the pretty face yeah but i appreciate the fact that he comes back to play a bit of a pretty face here like clearly it's violent and yeah, yeah, it's not the same pretty face that he was in Meet Joe Black, you know. No. Um, but uh, but he is here to be bankable, and again, killer move by the studio. Yeah, like, yeah, this for is sure. exactly what this movie needed. Yeah. Um, and and granted, again, you know, I'm so sure I didn't know this. So like, so Fincher was against that. I don't think Fincher was against it. I I think that Fincher basically the credit for hiring Brad goes to the studio. Um, oh, okay. Based on the information I could find, I couldn't see what Fincher's point of view was on it right i have heard about the film that they were great together on set so they were clearly friends and i believe they are still friends like they sure. hang out you know they did benjamin button together yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. a decade later so um uh th- there was definitely a connection so i don't think fincher was exactly against it but it wasn't his 
choice. It wasn't his choice. You know, yeah. so and and likely it wasn't his when when the studio first pitched it. Likely he was, you know, didn't love it either. Again, yeah, yeah, the yeah. heartthrob. Like eh, it's not really a Tyler Durden look. Yeah. Um. Uh, again, you look at Meet Joe Black. That's not Tyler Durden. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. Um. But anyway, that stuff is amazing to me, and I love hearing those stories. Um. Because it 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 recenters the argument and the focus on the fact that you know as much as the studios are money men and as much as they're uh, people consider them to be you know the ones getting in the way of the directors yeah yeah um they know what they're doing and they've been in the industry for forever yeah you know? so nobody's it, gonna bat a thousand right yeah so absolutely. yeah there's gonna be mistakes yeah um uh speaking of mistakes <laughs> <laughs> um uh let's talk X-Men Origins Wolverine. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> Why? <laughs> Mainly I realize I have a bunch of superhero stuff on here. Well, let's talk. Um, you know, I think... Can we do a quick aside? We can. We uh, can. And, oh, can we come back to... I, I'll need, I, I'm going to use this time to mentally prepare for okay. uh, X-Men. But I want to talk about the, the, the superhero movie genre again. Because it's so prevalent in movies. But, uh, you know, in this, in this... It just feels like there's so many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, in terms of anything, and so when, when when this came up, I immediately thought of, of Civil War, and we kind of had like a brief discussion about it. Sure. So the Russos and Feige, uh, they they ended up winning this argument, but the the what you saw on screen, the the studio didn't want. Oh, okay. Uh, and and with Marvel particularly, this was the last movie they had him for, but they had a story group, and it was headed up by Brian Michael Bendis. Oh, okay. And, and Joe Casada, and uh, I think his name is Joe Buckley, who was doing the, uh, who was the editor in chief uh, for Marvel Comics at the time. So those three names, just for those who aren't familiar, um, are big, big names in as comic writers. Yeah. Um. So Brian Michael Bendis created Miles Morales. Yeah. Since absolutely. Um. Uh. Anyway, sorry. Continue. So they they're part of a story group, and there's more people, got, but those are the big prominent names, and they're basically there to be like, okay, this worked in the comics. Let's try to get it as close to the comics as possible, but at the same time, try to Hollywoodize it. Okay, sure. Um, uh, so at the time, Feige and and the the guy who's running Disney at the time, or at least Disney Studios, like Pearl Pearl Muter. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Ron were, or whatever. Ron yeah. Or... So uh, they uh, they were butting heads a lot. Oh okay. A lot, and so when they saw what they were going to do at the end of Civil War. Uh, the story group, which baffles me because they're comic guys, and Ike didn't want the Avengers to be split up at the end of that movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Feige, who has obviously has this planned out, Yeah. and the Russos, they the Russos almost walk off the job. Oh, wow. And Feige almost quits. That's the one, there was a big story going around that he was, he was going to leave. That was the reason. Holy smokes. And they fought tooth and nail to make that that happen, the, the ending that they needed to happen. And uh, because of how that movie performs, the story group gets dissolved, and Ike no longer is the middleman anymore, so Feige reports straight to Iger. Wow. That's crazy. That's nuts. Like, <laughs> especially considering that, you know, a lot of those... MCU movies uh, don't have consequences, really. No. You know, there's very few of them yeah. that um, uh, that really the consequences, the the resolution that they've come to actually impact, uh, you know, future films. So, as a good example, Iron Man three um, finishes <laughs> with uh, with Tony Stark blowing up all the suits, and yeah. basically realizing that um, it, it's his arc as a character, and he's realized that. The, the the suits don't make the man basically yeah. you know and that he's he can still be a hero and not have iron man suits and that you know um uh he's a hero in his own right and then the very next time we see him i believe is civil war you know it's age of ultron oh age of ultron and yeah. he's got suits again yeah and there's no yeah. Cause conversation cause about much it. like everybody else age of ultron also forgot iron man 3 <laughs> 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 but it, <laughs> The, the consequences don't matter. Not no. in, the, in the same way that they, they should or could. Yeah. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we should have had multiple movies with Tony Stark 
just being Tony Stark with, <laughs> with no Iron Man suits. But I, I I do think it's interesting that that's um that that this almost made people leave on both sides, and that people were stubborn enough about that choice. Yeah, that they were willing to lose incredible people. Yeah, given the fact that they sort of just forget. <laughs> about these consequences between films. Anyway. Yeah. Well, what's really really crazy is that Perimeter was is is notoriously cheap. Oh, okay. Notoriously cheap. So he hated Downey's contract at the oh. time. Oh. He hated it. Yeah. Right. And he hates the idea that okay, so after this, he's going to be in like a weird Spider-Man movie for like three minutes, and we're going to pay him how much money? Yeah. <laughs> and at the but yeah, at the end of the day, Feige's like, yeah. But the bottom line is that he's going to tack on how much extra money at the end of our of our bottom line. Yeah, and so they butt heads, and 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 then it comes to this, and uh, and Feige, to his credit, where a producer stuck up for that those that film's vision, puts his foot down like, if, if this is going to be a constant thing, I'm gone. Yeah, and again, to me, the 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 story group backing the 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 money guy is a strange strange thing, considering totally. considering Bendis was the guy that split the Avengers teams in the comics. Yeah. Right, he didn't. He Mark Miller writes noir, writes Civil War, but <laughs> yeah. But Bendis uh, writes the New Avengers and the Mighty Avengers afterwards. There's two. There's a pro, yeah. there's a pro reg and an anti reg team. Uh, and so the idea that he sat there and be like, "Yeah, this is a this is a, it shouldn't work this way." What are you talking about? Wow. What are you talking about? Yeah, <laughs> like that's how? <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, and um, this and just just for reference, this is it, it's not speculation this was the russos coming out and having an interview and and telling the story oh wow yeah and they would know you know and they so they went on from civil war um to then direct both uh avengers Infinity which is war goodwill and, built up from them and feige right that's a absolutely. trust that's an absolute trust thing oh and so it just it really shows like it, i guess the thing is they come out and say the story um and they're still then directed two movies clearly it's not like they were lying and they upset someone at Marvel, you know? No. Um, uh, so, the, yeah, that, that relationship still exists. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, yeah, wow. Uh, and so, speaking of unbelievable, <laughs> back to X-Men Origins Wolverine. I think the biggest thing that shocks me, like, there's plenty of bad decisions in this movie. Um, but, but really what it's, um, uh, one of the biggest things for me is the Deadpool thing. They introduced <laughs> Wade Wilson we have Ryan Reynolds given an opportunity to be Ryan Reynolds in yeah. a movie. Um, let him, you know, use his mouth. And then, uh, and then by the end of the film, when he's getting powers, they remove that completely. And then they make him not the character he is at all. Um, so that was nonsense. Like it literally doesn't even make sense uh, at all like there's no part of that i'm like, that i'm like oh you know i could see where maybe they were trying to go <sighs> with this um and then on top of that what i've heard is, is that apparently initially the first drafts of this um film were uh, it was supposed to be his origin but they were going to talk about ptsd and so he had been in wars and stuff and they were going to it was going to be a, a darker grittier story about logan and um uh, and the whole PTSD storyline was shot down. Any sort of grittiness was shot down. Um, and then we have Logan coming out uh, almost 10 years later that effectively does what Origins wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, and it makes uh, the number is $620 million <laughs> domestically versus X-Men Origins Wolverine earning $350 million. Like, well, they never speak for themselves. It's tough to like. I'll tell you a couple of stories about Wolverine Origins because it's hilarious. Uh, number one, they were still making movies for toys at that point, like that okay. X Men franchise. Sure, right. So you're still making, you know, you have 800 characters in there because you, you need, need a lot of action, action figures. figures. Yeah, you just don't. You, by the time we're here now, Logan's not made for action figures. It's sure. a very creative movie in terms of priorities. Uh, I owned a comic book store uh, during that time, and. Uh, one day, uh, a guy comes in and buys a bunch of comics, and he leaves a giant duffel bag. I have no contact or anything like that. So we open up the duffel bag, and uh, they were filming at the time. So it's Wolverine Origins dailies, all the oh. tapes, all the tapes, months before the movie comes out, like months. Uh, so we pop the tapes in. So we watch that movie being filmed. 
<laughs> take after take after take after take. And uh, we get to the Deadpool part, and we are... Well, I have no idea what's going on or <laughs> why that decision is being made at all. And uh, not wanting to get in trouble, so people start coming in and being like, man, that Wolverine movie looks good. And just the three of us behind the counter being like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I can't say anything, but I've watched I watched that movie uh, like without all the CG and all that stuff. So I watched. Sure. It's bad. Like it's like, and like uh, I love Taylor Kitsch. Like I'm a, yeah, I'm a big fan. Uh, Friday Night Lights and all that stuff. But him doing Gambit along a green screen is just brutal to watch. <laughs> <laughs> just just brutal. Such a miscast. And oh, like and God. so you know and and. I get a I get a crazy appreciation for you, Hugh Jackman, because he, regardless of what scene it is or how bad he's so, he's trying so hard. Oh yeah, he's just trying so hard, and everybody else in the movie is like, Will I Am is in that movie. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just like no idea what's going on here, there, there, and I'm just what? so we watched that movie, and I it is a disaster. Yeah, a disaster of a, a process. To, so like. It's one thing to go into that theater and be like, oh, man, that's just a bad movie. It's another thing to watch it as it's being made and to see actively the bad decisions being made. Oh, yeah. And, and then reliving them for 50 takes. <laughs> yeah. Well, knowing you can't do anything about it either, you know, yeah. like at least if you're on set, you could potentially put a, you know, yeah. a word at someone's ear yeah. or something and just try yeah. and subtly. Yeah. But and, you know, being in such a passive place where you're like, well... And and it's weird because like I felt bad for the guy. I'm like, this guy lost his job because he lost this bag of tapes. Oh! But at the end of the day, I'm like, maybe that's a good thing that his name is not on this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a blessing in disguise. So I I when people bring up Wolverine Origins as like a like a weird Hollywood cautionary tale, I always think of that bag and watching watching it fail in real time. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Man, that's a good that's a good story. <laughs> um, uh, to to shift away a little bit from uh, from cape movies and and to a something that I find like or an interesting uh, example is uh, the butterfly effect, the Ashton Kutcher two thousand four movie. Um, Jesus, not a great movie. It's um, all right. It's I really liked it, um, but partially, and here's the rub: I watched the director's cut. Um, there's so, a director's cut for the butterfly effect. There's a totally different ending. Okay. Um, and so what I really liked about that movie, now granted, I probably watched it when I was like 15 or something. Um, so it, you know, it's it, it leaned into the right <laughs> level of edginess for me. Sure, uh, sure. You're a big punk guy too, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, so what they end up doing is the original ending is that um uh basically he he can go back in time right to his (laughs) earlier life and affect certain events and so what keeps happening about the movie is he affects certain things and then he goes forward and things have gotten worse um and the common denominator what he ends up realizing is is it's him um is that he's the problem and so there's a whole subplot no wonder you relate There's a whole subplot <laughs> about how his his mom miscarried like you know two or three dozen times uh, before eventually having him. He was a miracle baby. His dad is in uh, wasn't in an asylum. He dad, dad tried to kill him when he was a kid, um, and all of those threads come together in the director's cut to for him to eventually realize that first of all he got this power this yeah you know time travel thing from his dad. Um, and his dad realized when he was a child that the kid should never have existed and that his dad had screwed with time to basically make sure that they ended up having a kid. <laughs> um, and so in the director's cut, uh, Ashton Kutcher goes back in time to in utero <laughs> and then chokes himself out <laughs> with <laughs> the umbilical cord. And that's the end of the movie is that everyone ends up being happier because Ashton Kutcher didn't exist. Anyway, I thought this was brilliant. Uh, so, from an artistic point of view, that's what the director wanted. Don't say wanted. artistic. 
<laughs> that's what the creatives wanted. That's what their their plan was. The studio was like, no, 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 not happening. And they put in a much more uplifting ending where he ends up like, yeah, you know, stopping some kid from being bullied and then <laughs> doing a couple other things, and then everyone's happy go lucky at the end. Um, and so again, they ignored what the the uh, the artistic vision. Um, they. Uh, the director's cut is, as far as themes and story continuity is concerned, it is a much neater story. Like, th- there is various threads that just don't lead anywhere in the theatrical version. Um, and they actually all do lean it, lead to the ending uh, in the director's cut. Um, but from a financial, from a uh, movie success point of view, the... Uh, the theatrical version earns $100 million off of a $13 million budget. So they kind of killed it. And so, like, this is an interesting example because, on one hand, I prefer the director's cut version. It's uh, <laughs> as misguided as that <laughs> seems. Um, but the studio is like, cha-ching, this absolutely worked out because we got involved and said, this is ridiculous. Because there's 0% chance <laughs> a move, or a baby choking himself out at the end of a movie is Makes $100 million? To, yeah, like, no way is that happening. Uh, the butterfly effect is a weird one, and I'm kind of glad you brought it up because maybe we can talk about the other side of it for like a hot second, uh, is the marketing for the butterfly oh, okay. effect. Uh, I remember that movie coming out and being very confused when I went to see it, because it, it felt like all the marketing leading up to it made it a weird thriller horror movie. Okay, yeah. You I know? can see that, yeah. Uh, and that wasn't what it is. Nope. At all. No. Like, maybe <laughs> if you're being... Uh, if you reach for it. If you're being nice, you could describe <laughs> it as a thriller, maybe. You maybe, but in the trailers and commercials leading up to it, it's very much advertised as such. Uh, and I wonder if they were trying to ride the weird Final Destination oh. scream stuff with the teen heartthrob guy in a weird thriller movie kind of a thing. Um, but that's got to be a studio thing too, right? Like uh, obviously in terms of marketing and, and pitching out the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I think it's a hard movie to sell. It must, they, they must have been in the middle of filming and this, the <laughs> studio guy's just like, how the hell <laughs> are you going to convince anyone to watch this? Yeah. So I, I get it, yeah, uh, yeah, uh. yeah. Um, another example in the in the improved section um, is the more of these than I thought. There is quite a few, yeah, honestly, a, cool. a shocking number. Um, so a, a really quick one actually is uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, is uh, famously, I think it was Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein, wanted uh, Peter Jackson to make one movie, uh, and so. They, the Hobbits have since can uh, since confirmed that one of the um, the orcs in Two Towers, uh, the leader of the orcs, the what's his name, Gormog or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is styled after Harvey Weinstein uh, <laughs> visually, and you can see it. Like it's definitely there. Oh, it's a splitting image. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, New Line Cinema steps in as the uh, uh, production company, and they're like, no, 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 make three movies. And like, those wouldn't be the masterpieces they are unless that was three. Films. Sure. Um, especially considering like those extended cuts are six hours each. <laughs> um, so if we were going to cut all of that down to one movie, it, oh, man. Yeah. But it, isn't it kind of funny, like, you know, a decade later, the production company comes in and is like, no, we have to make three Hobbit movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the for the exact opposite Damn reason, <laughs> and I don't know if that was a New Line thing or if that was a Warner Brothers thing, either. Right? The the Hobbit yeah. decision, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Um, and honestly, I think that the Hobbit being three films would have been a little bit less of a problem if uh, they had a different creative on it. I think Peter Jackson was just so exhausted and he didn't want to do it. Nah. Um, you know, if if Del Toro had stuck around, frankly, I don't think Del Toro would have done three movies. Um, but and if he did, they they wouldn't be all out yet. Yeah, <laughs> fair point. Um, but uh, but if Del Toro had stuck around, those would have been uh, like I I think those would rival Lord of the Rings in terms of a uh, achievement, a quality um, thing. Yeah. yeah. Um. 
Have you ever seen Killing Them Softly? Movie from 2012 with Brad Pitt. Yes. Um, I love it. Yes. Uh, I think it's a great movie. Um, so the director, Andrew Dominics, mm-hmm. is what I have written down. So forgive me if I'm wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he had previously, uh, the last movie he did was The Assassination of Jesse James, James yeah. by the coward Robert Ford. Yeah. Um, and it was a boring three plus hour plot. Um, that I loved. Yeah, well, <laughs> I had a hard time. Um, so apparently, the Weinstein's uh, actually stepped in here, and they said, "You are a good creative. It we cannot let you be unleashed here. Like you need to be reined in." Dead. So they told him that they will give him the money, and they'll let him do another movie, but it can't be more than ninety-five minutes. Um, and that is the only reason, or not the only reason, but that is a big part of the reason why Killing Them Softly works. And yeah. so it's such a good film is that it's quick. The pacing is well done. Um, there, and it's not even that it, like an actually actiony or a punchy kind of movie. No, um, it is. It is still a little bit more of a plot, a little bit more of a. Uh, a it's more nuanced. But if that movie was longer, it would be a snorefest. <laughs> you know, like um, and so as far as I'm concerned, saves the movie. Save the movie. Oh yeah, ninety-five minutes saves that. Film. I guess it's tough because I mean, this is where this is where subjectivity comes in. Because I mean, I don't have a problem with uh, longer movies. You know, like mm. I said, like if if, uh, if it came out as long or as maybe as plotting as Assassination of Jesse, I, I think I'd be okay. Like I, I, I still really enjoyed that movie, right? But sure. uh, I mean, I Killing Him Softly is a great movie, so yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I I don't know that I I don't think I'd change much. So in that sense, I think you're right. But I don't know that handcuffing him like that is a definitively better or worse thing. And, and that's a fair point. Yeah. Um, I remember hearing a story about the social network um, and that uh, when the script was written. Um, oh, God, I'm blanking on the name again. Can you remind For the script? Me? Yeah. Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. Thank you. <laughs> Can't do it. Yeah. Um, Sorkin wrote out the script. Yeah. Um, and... He hands it in, and it's like 700 pages. It's not 700. It's massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the studio is like... Sorkin-esque. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> what is this? And he goes, oh, it's a two-hour movie. And they're like, no, it's not. <laughs> You're full of it. And he goes, yeah, it is. And so he sits down with Fincher, and the two of them record it. Or no, sorry, I think it was just Sorkin. He records yeah. himself saying the script yeah. um, at the pace it needs to be said. And it comes out, comes out at two hours. So they take that recording and they show it to the actors and they say, this is how you deliver everything. <laughs> um, and I think that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think pace matters. And I think that, sure. you know, I've heard this about uh, uh, David Lynch, that there's that great <laughs> um, uh, shot of him on set where there's a, uh, there's a script supervisor and she says something about, um, yeah, so do you think we can get another one but it's like a little bit shorter? And Lynch yells, <laughs> and he's like, "What is this with with always having things be shorter? I'm gonna make the movie I want to make." And I'm like, "David, you're no one watches your movies, man. Like that's a lie. <laughs> he's great. <laughs> They're not financially successful, and it's because he insists to do seven minute takes to make no sense." So I wish he had listened to that strip supervisor. No, I wouldn't change a thing about David Lynn. <laughs> I wouldn't change a thing. Oh, no. He, as a person, is incredible. <laughs> uh, but it's just because I can see videos like that. <laughs> um, another one I thought was really interesting was Dread from 2012. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. The Carl Urban. Yeah. Great movie. Love that movie. Good Absolutely movie. Absolutely adore that movie. <laughs> um, to, as a quick side note, I uh, uh, once Carl Urban was in town here um, for a Comic-Con. And I hung out at a few bars around where I knew the uh, actors were uh, staying, like the hotel they would typically put up in, and uh, ended up running into running into him at this bar. And he was hanging out with his Battlestar Galactica buddies. Uh, and so I didn't want to be one of these people that like stands at his table and you know is like, oh, while you're eating dinner, talk yeah, yeah. for me or chat with me. So I just sort of <laughs> leered at him for a while. Um, but when he left, he, him and his the friends are all leaving and they're loaded. Uh, they had a bunch of wine. And I was like, it's now or never. Like, I'll just ask, you know. So I run over there and ask him for a picture. And I had a few drinks by this point, too. And so, and he was super gracious. He was super nice. He goes, yeah, yeah, let's do it. 
So I'm taking this picture. And because I had had a few drinks and I had no idea what to do, I immediately start crying. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I'm so sorry they didn't make another Dread movie. And he's like patting me on the shoulder (laughs) while trying to smile and take this picture with me. And he's like, it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) Anyway, I love Dread. (laughs) Incredible movie. (laughs) Um, But apparently, the director, Pete Travis, he wanted a slower and thoughtful film. He wanted it to be uh, a little bit more... uh, Again, nuanced. He wanted to, to really consider the emotional impact of Dread and, and his decisions and, you know, what life was like in Mega City 1. And the writer, Alex Garland, um, uh, was like, this is ridiculous. And Alex was, Garland, the same Alex Garland? Uh, the very same. Yeah? And I didn't so know that. That's cool. He, uh, the studio ends up stepping in and going, okay, they, this isn't the script that was written and Alex is like, it was not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, so they actually gave him editing duties. So they, they shove out the director, Pete Travis, and they give Alex Garland editing duties. And so he cuts that film into the film we see now, the action film. Crazy. Um, And like that movie's a masterpiece. So I had no idea Alex Garland was on that movie, and I did that. It was the, that was the case? Uh, you know, now that you're you're really stoked about it, I actually don't know 100. percent It's the same Alex Garland. I'm pre- like I'm 95 percent sure. <laughs> but now that you're like questioning, it, it I'm makes it, out. it would make sense. It would. It would seem. It right would make for sense. Him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Uh, even 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 if it isn't, that's a bonkers story. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's um, all. It's it's more unbelievable if it isn't that Alex Garland. To be honest. Yeah, I you know? would agree. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing was the the Matrix. Uh, uh, apparently, the initial uh, the initial cast of that movie is insane. The initial cast. I've never heard this. Uh, Will Smith as Neo. Oh, I did hear. That. Yeah, I, I forgot who Morpheus was supposed oh, to be, but it was yeah. supposed to be. It was also like a really really Nonsense. strange. Nonsense. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I do remember that. Um, no, he did Wild Wild West instead. He did, but there was also like a the studio had wanted somebody else, and I'd read this recently, and I, I'm completely blanking. But there was somebody else that they wanted for Neo, and the Wachowskis said no, it has to be yeah. Keanu. Well, and I, I think it works out. You know, I I like Keanu a lot. Um, he is unfortunately not a great actor. Um, he is very good in some things, and he's good at being a particular character. Sure. Um, he's great as Neil. Um, yeah, I think he yeah. fits the role. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I'm glad he's you know that it, it ended up the way it was. But apparently, their initial um, script, uh, the humans they have them all um, like the machines get them all connected to a neural network, and that's sort of how the Matrix itself is running. Um, and there's this whole level of uh, complexity that they've added in there. And the studio stepped in and went, no, 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 no. And they said, make the humans batteries. <laughs> um, and I think it's brilliant because it serves the purpose it needs to. We know that humans are, like, effectively what, what you need from that movie, humans versus machines, real, the world, real world is not what we think it is. Yeah. Um, and then you need, by the end of it, Neo to uh, be start, like being able to take control of the, of the matrix, right? Um, so I don't need to know the whole ins and outs of how the entire system works. And that's why I start hating those movies after the initial <laughs> matrix is because they go way too in-depth about stuff that doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't make sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so somehow someone at the studio stepped in on that first one and went, nope, 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 we're simplifying this. And I think, unfortunately, because of the success of it, which else gives you given more power, more power as the truly goes along and it it work, doesn't work out you know so power it, that lasts 20 years apparently to make another one <laughs> i've seen it actually Did i you? have no interest uh yeah, i yeah. it's a it's, I get a, it's it. a weird i mean i think we talk about it a little bit in franchise burnout oh sure yeah uh and i'm just like i i don't know why we have a new matrix movie i just don't yeah um, <laughs> there's some uh, there's like one bit in the in the trailer that I'm like really stoked about um, when the guy that plays Kristoff in Frozen, uh, <laughs> he's great. I know I can't think of his name. Man, I'm having a hard time with names today. Yeah. Um, uh, and he goes, "Wow, we're going back." 
back to the matrix <laughs> and i love it every time <laughs> oh man that would be the one for you oh just it just, just low-hanging fruit oh it just <laughs> stretches an itch for me you know oh man um so as far as i'm concerned to get that scene alone and put that in trailers it was worth making the movie <laughs> Oh man, I don't know why um, we're here. Sometimes, the uh, so uh, I got I got two more. Yeah, let's maybe do to it. wrap us up. So first of all, or actually, which one do you want first? You want the you want the studio screwing up or doing a good job? Let's let's do the screw up. Let's screw up. Okay. Okay. Let's end on a good note. Um, so that's actually this is a good choice uh, <laughs> because I, this might get me some internet hate. Um, so I put Justice League on here. Oh baby, here uh, we go. We should have we should have done the whole episode on this. Yeah. <laughs> so I personally believe um, that the theatrical cut is a better film. Yes, um, and that's now the they have Snyder to hate both of us. Is bloated and uh, and doesn't really work. Um, however, the fact is, Whedon was brought into that that film. I think he makes a better film, but he does that at the cost. Of his actors. You know, all of them have come forward and said they were abused. And, yeah. you know, essentially part of the reason the DCEU falls apart, besides, you know, poor overall creative direction from, I would say, Zack Snyder, um, is the fact that everyone is burnt out and exhausted and hates their lives at the end of filming Justice League. Yeah. And as far as the reports have been shown, that's because of Whedon. Yeah. Um, so as much as I think that, again, Whedon does a good job in that film of making it a little bit more interesting, I think it's cut better. I think it's you know punchier. It's yeah. faster. It's a. It's still Frankensteining a turd. Like it's like at the end of absolutely. the day, absolutely, it's just a less turdy turd. But <laughs> well, and that's the thing is that you brought in the guy that ended up effectively costing you the cinematic universe. Yeah. You brought in the guy that effectively caused everyone to go, nope, don't want to be involved anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I've heard that about Ben Affleck. I don't know if it was ex- explicitly Whedon, but he had such a poor time. He was supposed to make his own Batman. Yeah, movie, he left. You know? He bailed on it. And like, uh, so clearly this was a poor studio decision. Maybe not from the final product point of view. Yeah. And like, I think I'm in the minority when I say I think the the Whedon film is better. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of people prefer the Snyder cut. So even from a studio point of view there, maybe what they should have done from the very beginning is not, is just delayed it. You know, like obviously Zach steps away because his, his daughter commits suicide. Yeah. Right. So I'm not saying, you know, make him continue making the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I do think that, you know, maybe they should have just delayed it a year or maybe, I don't know. And that's an extra tough one too, because at the end of the day, uh, we have, we have, kind of like inklings of allegations of Whedon when he's hired. Sure. But, uh, but if you're just looking from a, just from a resume standpoint, that's the right call. Yep. Yeah, I agree. As, as a studio being like, yeah, just give us the guy that made the two Avengers movies. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's the right call at the time. I mean, you can look back on it now and be like, yeah, he fucked it up. But that movie was bad to begin with, guys. Yeah. Like, he, he's not doing anything. He made... The best way for me to describe that movie is he Whedon makes a shorter shitty movie. Yep. Yep. And I, there's like, a couple of weirdness like the the flash falling into Wonder Woman. Sure, the we, is, the Whedonisms are the there and it's thing. a little strange thing. But for every guy who comes up to me and be like and gives me oh, what I'm gonna say are hollow reasons why the the Snyder cut is better. Yeah. Those those, those aren't good enough to, 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 to swing me to the idea that that's a better movie. It, yeah, there's not there's not enough change in those movies other than the length. Uh, yeah, it's a good point. At the end of the day, like even if we think the Whedon one is a little funnier, mm-hmm. or the Snyder one is a little bit more emotional or has more cyborg, but he's still a crap character in that yeah. movie. There's not enough. You can you can argue all you, all you want. Cyborg has a bigger role. Time doesn't make it a bigger role. He still adds nothing to the film. Totally, absolutely right. So. Yeah, I mean that's an episode in itself. I mean, it, it, it's a tough one. It's a tough <laughs> one. Um, my my last one I want to touch on was in terms of movies improved by studio interference, um, and I think this is a good ending just because. Uh, again, I might piss people off, but let's do it. Um, uh, well, we already lost everybody now, <laughs> so. But so I think Rogue One is improved by studio interference. Um, so widely considered to be one of the best films. 
created in, in the, the Disney, Disney era, era. Um, or best Star Wars films, obviously. Um, uh, my understanding is is that the uh, oh god, no, I can't do names. I just can't Gareth do names. Edwards. Gareth Edwards. <laughs> I was thinking of Josh Trank, and I'm like, nope, no, That's, he's Fantastic Four. Yeah, he was the Boba Fett movie. Uh, oh yeah. He, uh, yeah, he gets yeah. he gets fired from the Boba Fett movie. Anyway, Gareth Edwards. Um, he is uh, at this point had I think he had just finished the raid. Um, uh, when he's hired or no, no, not the it, not the raid. Um, it was, was it not the raid. No, the guy. No, not the raid. That's oh, a different. No. I'm falling. Apart. <laughs> no, 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 you're good though. But I think it's the uh, I think it's the Godzilla movie. Oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so anyway, he comes onto this film and he shoots it like an indie film. Yeah. Um, which granted, that was effectively like he was known for indie films. He was known yeah. for uh, a little bit more of a loose, uh, let's be creative uh, kind of style. Uh, there's a famous shots um, of uh, of her in the what's it called? Like she's just in the trailer. She like turns back towards the yeah, camera yeah, yeah, yeah. at one point. It lights up behind her, and that was just something that had happened by chance on set and. And he was like, whoa, 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 go back. We're going to shoot that. <laughs> yeah. And they literally, it, it's not a shot in the movie. He doesn't the movie. have. There's a bunch of stuff in the trailer that's not in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's because they just shot a bunch of stuff that they thought was cool. Um, and so what happens in this case is they shoot a bunch of stuff and then they get to an editing room and have a disjointed mess of a film. Yeah. Um, and so the studio comes in and they, um, and they're like, no, 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 no. This needs to be, they add structure basically. Um, so, he didn't get kicked out or anything, no, no. but he definitely got locked down a bit. And they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We need to be really clear. This needs to follow. This needs to be, there needs to be a story here. There needs to be some structure. There needs to be some yeah, yeah. Uh, alignment. And it's funny because I think fans really blame um, Disney for ruining the sequel trilogy and for, you know, it was their influence that completely screwed this up. But again, I think it's the only reason. Uh, that Rogue One ends up coming out as something that is not disjointed yeah. is because they forced some level of structure yeah. and coherence to a film that wasn't did not have any of that. No, and uh, we can talk about it another time, uh, and we will. But I, Star Wars fans, scapegoat Disney oh, for yeah. the faults of those movies and anything that's come out, and it's it's they pick and choose and they they cherry pick. Yeah, when things are at fault and when one thing and it just it makes no sense to me. I, I hate it, and we'll talk about it at some point. I'm assuming down the line. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, because we, it, there's no it, way we can avoid it. Yeah, we, I mean, we've already we'll just lump in the Snyder Bros and the the Star Wars guys and just just take them all take them all on in one episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a great. But it, it does. Uh, it's weird because it also basically informs the way they do business moving forward. You know, like yeah. how uh, Edwards is on that film and how they handle that is a direct result of why Lord and Miller aren't on Solo. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because uh, they are known for being a little slapdash a little as bit well. A loosey-goosey with their, their filming, right? So. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because I honestly think a Lord and Miller Solo film is uh, a far better film than what we got. Yeah. Um, you know, it, what we get is safe and boring and, you know, yeah, not really worth mentioning, but, uh, Lord and Miller could like, I, I think at the end of the day, given what we ended up getting, I would rather have a zany, crazy, doesn't make a lot of sense. Lord and Miller Han Solo film versus yeah. what we end up getting because what we get is boring. Yeah. Really. I just want, I just want something different in my Star Wars. Totally. It's time. It's totally. time. Yeah. Yeah. Let's stop going to Tatooine. <laughs> um, I, so I guess closing thoughts. Um, the interesting thing I find about this, all this, is so much of this is only proven with the benefit of hindsight. You know, like I can't say that in every case, locking a editor out and giving the uh, or locking a director out of the editing room and giving uh, editing rights over to the writer was a good call. But it was a good call in the case of Dread. Um, sure. And I can't I can't say for a fact that telling a director you can only shoot uh this movie can only be 95 minutes is always a good call um and i would say in most cases it probably isn't but it was a good call in the case of killing him softly yeah um so you know it's a crapshoot a little bit 
Yeah. Um, but I, I think what it comes down to is when you get a studio and a, and a producer that understands their creative and when you have a relationship there um, that, you know, maybe knows their strengths um, because that's clearly doesn't happen in Alien 3. You know, um, that studio clearly doesn't understand what they have in Fincher and they yeah. railroad it. Yeah. Or Alien Resurrection or Prometheus. Yeah. Well, or Alien Covenant. The whole thing. <laughs> but I just mean, you know, I, yeah. in, in the case of, Alien Resurrection, at least they took a little bit of a chance with a that French director guy. Yeah. But like Fincher, he could have done this on his own, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and him being railroaded, now we'll never know yeah. what a Fincher ah, movies are complicated, is. man. Like at the end of totally. the day. And then I think it's tough too, because then we're talking about the business of it more so than the creative part of it. And at the yep. end of the day, the money messes everything up. Right. If you're going to put $100 million into a movie, you need to make back $300 million. Yep. So what seems to be a small decision like putting Brad Pitt in Fight Club seems like a small thing to begin with and ends up making a lot of careers. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So it's a tough, tough thing to balance. And again, like we're talking literal thousands of people that are involved in films. Yeah. Um, who knows? Who knows? And I, I've heard this from actors before. They talk about how you never know if a picture is going to be good until it's done. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you're kind of you think it is, and you you got your hopes, and you've got your you're investing your time and effort and dreams in this. Yeah, yeah. And then it comes out as a stinker, you know, and like <laughs> sucks. Um, so I, I guess what I mean to say is, I don't think producers make or break a movie. Um, in terms of no, like they're not the only ones. Um, I think there's plenty of op- of, of uh, examples where either thing happens. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's just super interesting to see the difference between the two. And then and, and there is situations where someone, one decision really could have radically shifted. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Like, I think that's also a, a really unique thing to, you know, break down those stories and realize how collaborative it all is. So if you fail... You feel it as a thing, even though I think the director takes on a lot of the blame. Totally. But it's weird to see uh, movie fans immediately blame the studio, and 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 not yeah. and not quite understanding what that all entails. Totally. Right. Totally. Again, we talk about Star Wars, and we will, we will talk about Star Wars, but like that stuff bothers the crap out of me. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think some of it's just it's easier to blame a faceless studio than yeah. it is to blame. You know, David Fincher, or <laughs> it is to blame Alex Garland, or, you know... Um, the Alex Garland. The, the one and only. Um, uh, so, I, I think that's some of it, but I agree um, that the fans have a tendency to uh, cherry-pick their favorites, and yeah. they're never going to blame them. No. You know, same with Snyder. Oh, my God. You know? So- <laughs> anyway, uh, I think, really, the summary is, we love Zack Snyder. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>